had this series in mind. And about... It's just a recording. It's recording? Yeah. Okay. Um, I had this series in mind about women of Scripture, and she said, which one of these people do you want to talk about? And she gave me this list, and Rahab was on the list. I thought, oh, I know about Rahab. You know, she's in the lineage of Jesus. You know, you read those accounts in Matthew and, and Luke, and, and Rahab shows up. She was known as a, as a prostitute. And it's like, okay, well, you know, God redeems that and, and uses it. And I'm thinking of, of things that I can say about Rahab. But as I dug into the story, it's in the book of Joshua. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I lead a peace organization, Peace Catalyst International. And in the book of Joshua, there are all these stories and accounts of genocide. It's like God says, according to the passage, go in and wipe out these people. And I've got to tell you, I, I have a problem with that. And I've been trying to figure this out. And I was raised in a, in a very literalistic way of reading Scripture. And it's like, so you know, you begin to make excuses for that. And I'm, so I'm wrestling with all of that stuff and, and wanting to unpack it a little bit with you this morning. Now, Rahab was known as, as a prostitute. It, it says that in the New Testament. The word could actually mean innkeeper, too. So maybe she was like both, or maybe one or the other. But you know, what a, what a title, what a... What a reputation to have attached to, to your name. Now, if you were going to attach a title to your name, what would you do? I mean, think of like Catherine the Great or Alexander the Great or Mary Queen of Scots, John the Beloved. How would you describe yourself? And, and really, we're, we're many different things. We're not just one thing. I'm like Martin the Insecure or Martin the Thinker, or Martin the Peacemaker, or, you know, we all had these different identities that we have, but who are you? If you were to describe yourself, what story would you tell? Would you let us see the real you, all of you? Would you maybe put on some masks, dress it up a little bit to, to be a little better than, than you were probably? I, I mean, I would. I would probably leave out some of some of the embarrassing parts, like, well, I won't say like. <laughs> I was I was a missionary, uh, and I thought of myself as pretty smart. I, I had read the Bible. I went to Bible college and and got decent grades. And I was told and and believed that I was special, that I was better than the people over there who didn't believe like I did. I needed to go and tell them what to believe and how to live. I was told that a, a simple reading of the Bible was probably best, nearly always best, and that's how I fell into the whole like left-behind way of thinking. Jesus would return one day with a big sword, and He would kill everybody that wasn't a Christian, like me. I was taught that uh, you should probably use the Bible to interpret the Bible and that outside sources were suspect because they weren't from God. They weren't inspired by God. You see, we had the truth and the truth had set us free. 
or at least the truth as I understood it as, as a missionary that, that I was trying to, to share. And yes, God can use all of those things. And, you know, I believe in the priesthood of, of all believers. But just because somebody quotes a Bible verse doesn't necessarily mean that they're speaking for God. Now this story that we're about to read of Rahab and others about Jesus taught me to look past a person's story or past their past. I'm trying to think of another way to say that. But just because somebody has something in their past doesn't define all of who they are. And I had to learn that because of the way I had been taught. Jesus taught me to love other people and include them like Jesus included Rahab in his own family story. Stories like this taught me to value the contributions of people that I had dismissed because God loves them and God loves you. And and even in all of the junk that I know is in my life, God loves me. Sometimes I have to talk myself into that. God loves me. God loves you. And God can use you and me and them. And what I need to do is to empower them. In fact, I'm called to empower them and to love them. And I should probably just get out of the way so that they can do the thing. Stop labeling them as whatever label we hang on people. Stop labeling them so that they can thrive and be who God has called them to be. We should have a holy curiosity about other people. Instead of hanging a label on them, you know, we listen for these these verbal clues. Oh, they went to school. Oh, they're this kind of... Oh, they're not a Christian at all. Oh, you know, and we're looking for things to label people. And too often we dismiss them based on this label or this misunderstanding that we have about people. But we should have a holy curiosity about people. Just yesterday we had a uh, halal breakfast, a permitted breakfast and Bible reading at my house where we bring Christians and Muslims together and we learn from each other. Yesterday there was a, a woman, Zainab, there. Her parents are from Iraq, but she was born in Nebraska. She's Muslim. She's, she's a Shia Muslim, which means she's a minority within the Muslim community. And some people think, some Muslims think that Shias are sort of a second-class Muslim. So she was in Susan's My Home yesterday, and, and some of you were, were there with us. And I find her story so fascinating. She, she covers as a Muslim woman because she's seeking God. She wants to honor God in that. It's not that she's oppressed by somebody. This is her choice to do that. She came to the Bible study, Bible reading, because she's seeking God. She shared with us what she knew and what she had learned as a young woman in her pursuit of God. Something really interesting she shared yesterday in Arabic Uh, In the Quran, in Islamic traditions, did you know that Jesus has a nickname? The Holy Spirit. The breath of God. Isn't that fascinating? Now we we think about 
I learned that because I'm curious and, and, and invite, I want our Muslim friends, people who are different than me, to share their perspectives. Now, we're about to read a, a part of the story, of, a part of the story of, of Rahab. But just like God included Rahab in his story, he's included Zainab yesterday. My life would be a little bit different if I didn't know that bit of information. I had that interconnection with Zainab and, and with you. God is, is weaving a story together with all of us. So let's read the, the story of Rahab. When did I start? Have I been up here like maybe five minutes? I'm trying to think. Okay, well, you don't know how many notes I have. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right. In Joshua chapter 2, it says, Then Joshua the son of Nun secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now remember that, that Joshua had been a spy earlier, 40 years earlier. He had gone in and had seen these places, and he had a special interest in Jericho, especially Jericho's. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the two men came to me, but... I did not know who they were or where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof to dry. So the men set out in pursuit of spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she, Rahab, went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that the great, and great fear of you has fallen on us, uh, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to, to Shehan and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, and, in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me some sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, so that uh, you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly. 
and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through a window for her house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills. Um, the pursuers will not find you. Where the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days and then return and go back and go on your way. So I want to read just, just a few more verses. I'm sorry, it's a, it's a long passage. But here's how, here's how this turned out for them. If you were to jump over to chapter 6 of Joshua, um, starting in verse 20. So the Israelites are, are on one side of the Jordan. God dries it up in this miraculous way. They come across the Jordan, and now they're executing their plan to take the city of Jericho. And the, the plan was really weird. He, he said, like, march around the city one time a, uh, for seven days, and then on the seventh day, march around it seven times. So this is what's going on. Here they are on the last trip around Jericho. Uh, chapter 6, verse 20. When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted and the sound of, uh, at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in. They took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all, will, and all who belong to her in accordance with the oath you made to her. So the young men who had done the spying went it went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought her out, brought out her entire family, and put them in place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. They put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze uh, into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because... She had hid, the, had hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lived among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is anyone who undertakes to rebuild the city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son will he lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest son will he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Now, the, the passage reads, Susan and I are watching the rain. Any of you do like, uh, or watched, we were watching um, Jericho. Are you, are you watching any of these shows on, I guess we're the only ones that watch, that binge watch these shows. How about Jason Bourne? Uh, and, okay, some of, some of those, you know, it, it, it reads like a spy story. You know, there's intrigue, there's deception, there's plots being made behind the scenes. It appears to be one thing, but really it's something else. Um, some of the people, because of these intrigues of Rahab and the spies and, and God's plan, according to, this, to the, a simple reading of this passage, um, some people benefit they get favors, they get land, they get gold. Other people lose everything because of it. So, as you have heard the story of, of Rahab, the prostitute, 
What lessons have you heard through the years that we should take from this story? Okay, this is going to be a little bit different than, than typical preaching. I'm expecting you to actually say something right now. What stories have you, what lessons have you taken or heard from the story of Rahab and this taking of Jericho? That she was favored by God? And what did you say about listening? Because she listened? Uh huh. So you were raised in such a way that she had this relationship with God and was listening to God and being obedient. But then as you read the story, it's like what she realized was the Israelites' God was stronger than what's going on and she's about to get annihilated. So she's making a deal. Anything else? Well, how about that? We, we sang a song earlier that talks about God makes a way. And it made me think of this story, of course, because I've been immersed in it. Um, he makes the walls to fall. You know, they marched around the walls of Jericho and they fell. Now, you know, literally or metaphorically, you know, we have walls that we build up that divide us for different reasons, that limit us in different ways. And God intervenes. He blesses us and, and these walls come down. Um, how about this? If you, if, you trust God, uh, if you trust God to save you, um, I mean, trust God to save you as you do what's right. Do the right things and God will save you. Uh, or, here's a strong woman, Rahab, who recognized what, was, what God was doing and joined into it. Or, stand alone if you have to. Or, um, faith, your faith can save not only you, but your family, your extended family. Could we get that lesson out of the story? Um, God can use people with a, with a history. She was a prostitute, but God intervened somehow and, and used her. How about, I, I heard this one uh, a while back. It's, it's not immediately obvious, but God works upstream of where we are. So the, the Israelites uh, sent the Ark of the Covenant into the flooded Jordan River, and it stopped the water upstream, made a dry path so they could go across. In the case of Rahab, God uses her to deliver the city over, and then... She becomes the mother of, oh gosh, what was that uh, lineage that was, that was there? She was the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth, who was the mother of Jesse, who became the father of King David. And Jesus' whole lineage would be different. Our story might be different if Rahab hadn't done what she did. So God works upstream 
ahead of us long before we get into a situation. He has worked things out in ways we don't understand. Sometimes in confusing, baffling ways, and yet we get to this space and we realize God's already been here. You know, me as, as, a, as a missionary, I thought I was taking God to these places that didn't understand God. But really, God's already there. Those people were already created in the image of God. And what I do as a, as a missionary is go in and name it and help the people see God already at work. It's not that I'm going to save anybody. God's already at work, and God's teaching people one step at a time. You know, and and we have different understandings of God. People read this passage and draw different conclusions. I think some dangerous conclusions are that God wants to kill people. God wants to wipe out people. We have this manifest destiny where God is for us. We are His spokesmen. We are His agents. And therefore, we go conquer in the name of God. And I just think we have to be really, really careful with that. It's not that God doesn't work through us. Yes, He does work through us. But when we get to the point where we're going to kill other people, in the name of God, crusades, that sort of thing, then we need to take a step back and rethink it. As Christians, as Christians, we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. A lot of people have what they call a flat view of Scripture. Like every Scripture passage means has equal weight. So if God said this to Joshua... Be strong and courageous. I'm, I'm with you. Then that has equal, equal weight to something Jesus said. And yet what we do, Jesus came along and He kept saying, you've heard it said this. You understand it this way. But that's not quite right. Let me show you a better way to do this. So we as followers of Jesus read the whole Bible through the lens of Jesus. And if it doesn't make sense, if, Jesus, if you can't see Jesus marching around the walls of Jericho and going in and annihilating everybody, then maybe we need to rethink the lessons that we take from this passage. So as a peacemaker, I, I have trouble with, with the passage. You, you, can, you can hear me wrestling with, with this. I learned in the last few weeks, this part of Joshua was written like six or eight hundred years later. And what was going on six or or eight hundred years later was the Jewish community was being surrounded by the Babylonians. And the leaders of the Jewish community at that point in time were drawing on stories from their history to inspire the people to be strong and courageous. We can, God was with us when we went into Jericho. Remember that story? Remember the stories from our past? The stories that we, and we do the same thing, don't we? We, we, we talk about um, George Washington. We talk about um, Thomas Jefferson. 
Uh, we talk about the, the heroes of, of war. And we tend to gloss over the bad parts and emphasize the good parts. And maybe, maybe another way to look at this passage is it was written sort of as a... I don't want to say propaganda piece because that's negative. Now, I'm not saying... But it was, it was written as a way to motivate the people to have faith in God. We dig into the details as though each little detail is right, but it's a story that was passed down through six or seven, eight hundred years. I have trouble recounting what happened last week, you know, accurately. We tried to tell the story of the American dream that was great for some people, but terrible for other people. And that's the lens that I want you to, to wrestle with right here. It's been said that the victor writes the history. Have you ever heard that phrase? The victor writes the history. We don't have the story here of the farmer who lived a, a mile outside of the walls of Jericho, and he hears about these maybe six million people that had come out of Egypt and they weren't all Jewish people. They had brought Egyptians with them. They had picked up other people along the way. They had wandered around the wilderness in circles, not making sense in some ways of why they're doing this. The king of Jericho is concerned, so he builds walls, defensive walls, just in case somebody might attack them. This farmer's outside of, of, the, of the walls. He lives close enough to the city. He can get there if he needs to. He's with his wife out there, and all of a sudden, these six million people, he hears stories that they've attacked the people across the river. What fear does that bring up in his heart? In the, imagine if we found the diary of his wife. What story would she tell about Rahab? What did Rahab do? She lied to the king. She saw an opportunity and saved herself and her family. But the rest of the city died. How, how, is, how is the farmer's wife going to write that story in her journal? So as we read Scripture, as we hear stories, as we watch the news... There's always more to the story. And it's worth digging into it because if you just read the surface level information, you can arrive at some really bad conclusions. Now, I struggle with that too because you know, I, I don't want Christianity to become... I think all of you have access to the Holy Spirit. Spirit speaks in, into each of your hearts. And it's not that we need some elite to tell us what everything means. But we need to be careful reading things just at, at the surface level. It is worth digging in a little bit deeper. And God works through all of these different understandings. He takes you where you are, what your understanding is, and He helps you take the next step, one step at a time. And He's incredibly patient with you. Diana Butler Bass wrote a book, just came out a couple of months ago, called Freeing Jesus. 
And it's, it's her story of different ideas she had of Jesus throughout her life. When she was a child, she thought of Jesus as a friend. You know, you, you hear the Sunday school stories and Jesus is this nice guy that holds children in his lap. And, and that was comforting to her. And that helped her faith grow. But then she began to realize Jesus was a, was a good teacher. There, there was wisdom there. And, and that's a different step. Then she thought about Jesus being a savior. What happened on the cross? What, what was, why did God send Jesus? And she had this deeper understanding of who Jesus is. But then she realized, you know, it's not enough just to say Jesus is Savior. Is He your Lord? Are you orienting your life around Him? So a different understanding. Jesus as Savior and as Lord are two different things. And then she began to think about Jesus as the way. Modeling the way to live, the way to God. And began to look at Jesus in, in that way. And then the last bit was Jesus as presence. Jesus as with us. So you, you see, each of those five or six or seven understandings of Jesus, all of them are right. None of them are wrong. But if you were to just take one of them, Jesus as Savior is what the evangelical churches have, have done a lot of, and ignore Jesus as the way, Jesus as teacher, Jesus as friend, then, then you're missing a big part of, of who God is and, and what Jesus came to reveal to us. So the, the, the thing I want to leave you with is that whatever your understanding of this story of Rahab or the story of your understanding of Jesus, God loves you and He's walking with you and He can use that to bring you to the next phase that He has for you. So, um, gosh, I went way off my notes. Um, just one more thing that I glanced down at. When God, when God told Abraham that he was going to give him this land, that they're now conquering, he said, he said to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing to all. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of earth will be blessed through you. Imagine... If Abraham or, or Joshua had gone into the promised land, the promised land, this is the promise, with the intent of blessing all the nations instead of conquering all the nations. Could God have given them the land through peace, through blessing, through coming alongside of them? And maybe the, maybe the message of Joshua, maybe the message is, don't do it this way. I mean, look what has happened in the Middle East. It's been war after war after war. The Assyrians, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Ottomans, the British Empire, and now, you know, Israel and, and the Palestinians. Imagine if the whole trajectory had been one of building peace. 
Because Abraham was told he would be a blessing to the nations. I, I failed to see how Joshua was a blessing to the people of Jericho. So those are my questions. No real conclusion. It's, an, it's not, you're wrong, I'm right. But here are some things to think about. And God can use wherever you are. You are on a journey with God because He loves you. And He is shaping you into whatever it is that, that He can use for, for His purposes. And we can just relax in that. When you, when you get to the pearly gate, the you know, metaphorical pearly gates, God is not going to slide a test across the table and say, answer all these theological questions right and I'll let you in. He boiled it down. Jesus boiled it down. Love God, love other people. Bless people. Rest in that. God is on your side. Thanks, guys. So now we come to our time of communion. Oh, do I need to? Oh, I need to hold this in. Okay, I got it. <laughs>